Oh, good morning and, and welcome to the uh, Reach Football Digest Extra Time podcast uh, with myself, John Cross from the Daily Mirror. I'm delighted to be joined this morning by uh, the Manchester Evening News, Manchester United writer, Samuel Luckhurst. Um, very good morning to you, Sam. And thanks so much indeed, everyone, to joining um, us um, this morning. I'd like to say there was plenty to digest, really, from <laughs> from yesterday's game sure at Stamford Bridge. Yeah, I think we were sat a, a couple of um, couple of seats apart from each other, weren't we? And um, and, and really, at times, it felt a little bit. It was going to be difficult, really, to find enough words to write about. But the row afterwards, really, uh, with pot shots taken from Oligana Solskjaer, some controversial words and sentiments from Luke Shaw really about Man United's record with penalties. And, you know, let's start there, shall we? And and just the VAR and the penalty that ultimately wasn't. But should it should it have been? Samuel, what do you think? Do you, do you think it should have been? I thought it was. When uh, Stuart Atwell was asked to go and <clears throat> check the monitor, I think all of us seemed a bit perplexed as to what the hell had happened. It was It was difficult. I suppose it was difficult for them to communicate why he was doing it. I kind of vaguely remembered a minor handball shout. And then, of course, because we didn't have replays or monitors uh, to check, I think it was pretty much, for myself anyway, going off Tygo, which is about a minute and a half behind, waiting for it to come round. And the Chelsea players next to us, and the substitutes were getting around, getting up, looking for a monitor. And I think it was clumsy from Martin Adoy. I mean, why his hand was up there. Um, I, I certainly think at the start of the season where there were so many daft handballs being given, it would have been, it, there would have been no debate there. Um, but given the unnatural um, positioning of his arm, I, I thought it was a handball. But I think the problem United are starting to generate now is that they're, they're doing an awful lot of carping particularly where two weeks previously Harry Maguire was moaning about not getting a penalty at West Brom, about not getting penalties. And they're, mm. they're starting to look extremely desperate. Uh, I think penalty decisions obviously have to be judged objectively, but you look at United's record against the big six in the Premier League, they've gone eight hours now without scoring a goal open play against any of the other five teams. And it's almost as if they sound and act like they just need a Bruno Fernandes penalty to bail themselves out at the time. Solskjaer said afterwards that's done us up two points. Well, it didn't. That was well, it's probably about what midway through the first half, I would have said. Not um, even that, 14 yeah. minutes. Well, there you go, 14 minutes. Mm. I mean, there was there's more than, there's a hell of a lot of time for Chelsea to get back into it and or what have you. So um, I think at times Solskjaer trips over his words in press conferences or uh, when he's, especially in front of the cameras, I remember him telling us uh, on the pre-season, the last pre-season, season tour in Perth that he actually prefers speaking when the cameras aren't there um, that's not really done us any any help whatsoever going ahead it's it's all uh, the broadcasters and you probably saw him do about six chats with radio and TV afterwards and when you're that pent up about it you're bound to say something that's going to make you look a bit daft and United were desperately trying to row back on what Luke Shaw said yesterday evening yeah, it was, it, it, yeah. That, I mean, that's the that's the other thing, isn't it? Really, about what they said post match. I mean, you know, Solskjaer going on about the Chelsea website, and uh, it did strike me as a bit ironic. This is from 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 the football club, obviously under Sir Alex Ferguson, who made their names about sort of kind of drip 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 feeding in in little bits of info, which might upset yeah. the opposition. And the irony of that, then you know, United complaining about that was was really quite something. I thought, but 
you know, it is interesting because he's divided opinion a bit at uh, uh, the penalty, but to hear so many, you know, kind of former refs, and uh, it can be a cliquey business, the, re- the refereeing business, I it think. definitely can, um, yeah. And, uh, you know, sometimes it's about sort of kind of feels like looking after their mates. But, you know, I think literally every one of them has said, yeah, it should have been a penalty. Because I think the, the still picture is the most damning when it, when it, you yes. know, you yeah. can clearly, you can see it. It's his hand and his hand's up and, you, you know, no way. So it's, it's a difficult one to understand that. But I still think that, I don't know whether that they've crossed a line there with the integrity issue, because if you are suggesting uh, that the referee, you know, hasn't has got an agenda, you're you're, you know, imp- implying perhaps about you know question marks about his integrity. I don't know whether the FA might get involved. What do you think? I think there's a chance they will do because of that buzzword integrity. There, there are certain lines with referees that if you cross them it, it seems to warrant an FA charge and it's it's a strange time with with certainly refs in in England I, I can't make up my mind whether people are against them or for them especially after what happened at, at Ipswich Portman Road a couple of weeks ago mm. when the referee obviously squared up to one of the players so there was an awful lot of sympathy for him I think if you look at the overall footage there's a lot of grandstanding from him with just the way he's acting uh, in that incident and it it really didn't affect very well on him and there's no conclusive evidence yet that he was abused but there are a lot of people out there who just had their fill of players effing and blinding at referees I mean the benefit of going to these games behind closed doors that you can hear what the players are saying and there's a lot of invective there but I've not really heard a referee, you know, specifically abuse. I think if if a footballer says in hell moaning about moaning at a referee, it's not necessarily a case of them abusing him. It's just, you know, they're expressing their frustration. But the the officiating in the Premier League is problematic at the moment. We do seem to be seeing a, a clang of being dropped every week. But that's, that's besides the point whether Stuart Atwell was right or wrong for Luke Shaw to come out and say what he said was pretty remarkable and it's it's interesting mm. with Luke Shaw I think he he didn't have any media training at Southampton and it shows whenever he, he speaks to the press he's, he is a brilliant talker um, you, you spoke to him I'm sure plenty of times I've interviewed him a couple of times and he is so candid and he delivers sentences that prick up ears or you know that's that's a brilliant line in, in a very blase way like I don't think he necessarily um, under knows how how much of a headline it is what he's saying but again there's there's an element of him possibly being a bit pent up and um uh, just just not not outraged as such but frustrated by united dropping points again i think that was their fourth fourth draw in the last six so they the mm-hmm. momentum has well and truly tailed off and it's yeah, i think most teams always look for an excuse look for an ex- for a scapegoat but they went about this in a very ordinary way yeah, they did really. I listen. I totally agree with you on on the referees. I just think we're at a crisis point, aren't we? Yeah. In yeah. that, basically, we do need to, you know, support referees. And uh, you know, not not someone that's sort of kind of advocating um, a, a, abuse, but I do think at the moment we're seeing the worst generation that I can ever remember. Yeah, and I agree. VAR is only good up to a point because it's it's only as good as the human beings operating the. You know the system basically. This is the point, isn't it? I think everyone thought, oh, you know, VAR would come in and it would be this fail-safe system, 
and it would be amazing and it would completely remove all and every single controversy that we've had. And, and I just don't think it, it works like that. I'd love to see the, the setup of teams. So you have a regular referee, um, as good as you can possibly, uh, you know, uh, have and recruit, uh, take in charge, but he would have a regular VAR partner. Now, personally, I think because of the state of the game that we're in, it may be we should look at sort of using former referees, you know, recently retired referees of a really good standing, you know, to oversee that VAR. We've got this quirky setup at the moment. You actually have to kind of um, be a registered and, and be fit enough to to pass the referees test, would you believe, to to kind of operate the VAR. I mean, it's, it's, it's a nonsense, isn't it? But if you set up this this, this thing where you have a bit of an understanding like you have the, with the referees and their teams of lines, um, lines uh, uh, men or women, then I think that basically you, you, you have an understanding and uh, a reasoning of what might stand out or what might cause, you know, what might be worth looking at. And, and that when you have that regular interaction, I think you have a better, you know, scope of whether something is worth looking at you know, what appeals to whatever. And I just think that that sort of setting up of teams would go a long, long way. Because at the moment, we seem to have so many inconsistencies. We seem to have a huge controversy every day. We had one at West Brom Brighton Saturday. We had one yeah. at Stamford Bridge yesterday. Just, I don't know. It's it, We need to help the referees, I think, more than sort of kind of hinder them at the moment. Yeah, it's, it's difficult to try and identify a solution other than finding better officials. I mean, in terms of the overall landscape of them, I think Sean Massielis has been for years and years and years the best uh, yeah. best linesman or lineswoman. Um, so there's no, you know, I, I don't think anybody should be prejudiced about uh, the personnel or the gender of a referee or, or an assistant referee. But it's, it's the same faces. I mean, there used to be a rule that when you got to a certain age as a referee, that was it, you stopped refereeing. And clearly they, they felt that was quite ageist. And I, I take that point, but Mike Dean's been refereeing for probably the best part of 20 years in the Premier League and he's not getting any better. Uh, he had a horrendous ordeal, obviously, recently mm. with the abuse he got, which, uh, again, none of us condone that. That's, that's, that's pretty reprehensible. But unfortunately, when he goes about that grandstanding and he makes bad decisions, and particularly those two bad decisions he made... Um, within the last month or whenever it was, uh, particularly the, the, the Suchek sending off at, at Fulham. It just, I, I think I was in the press box at Old Trafford and everyone was watching it and there was not a single person in that press box who thought it was a red card. And <laughs> when you get when you get down to that, and we're, we're, not, we're not clued up on the laws of the game completely, whereas referees are or certainly should be, but it's just a common sense approach to it sometimes. And unfortunately, that's, that's completely lacking this this collection of referees. I mean, I, I grew up seeing David Ellery, who was quite a supercilious referee. Jeff Winter was, uh, you know, rather obnoxious. Uh, I thought at times in the way with, with with his style, but I think this lot at the moment they they are worse, which is is some going really. Yeah, and no, I totally agree. I think since we've lost Clattenburg, Howard Webb, Mark Housey, all personalities. I think that basically the, the, the game has the game has suffered as a result. I really do, and um, you know, I don't think it, I, I don't see a problem with being critical. Um, it's it's a line, obviously, we mustn't cross. But I think being critical and kind of having an opinion 
isn't isn't licensed to though to go out and be sort of kind of you know fulsome in your in your credit you know in people being abusive on social media i think there's got to be a line there somewhere and i just also i I do think that basically whether referees are getting enough support from the premier league and the pgml so you know that it's 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 a big issue it does though bring us back to the point though that ultimately no penalty meant no goals and yeah for man united it's a fascinating one isn't it because their record against the games in what you'd call the traditional um, big six. They're not all necessarily in the top six at the moment, by the way, which it should hasten yeah. to add. But basically they're not, you know, it, it's really surprising, isn't it? It's it's surprising from the point of view, the results, because talk us through them and then also the lack of goals. I mean, it's it's remarkable. Break that down for us. The, the irony is that they're the highest scores in the league. They're, they're probably going to lose that status this week because City only a goal behind and the City have got two home games. United have got two away games. But it really does boil down to the over-reliance on Fernandez and just the lack of personnel prepared to pick up the baton whenever he drops it. R- Rashford's got a good goals record this season. I think he's on 18 and mm. he's, he's just five shy of uh, career-best um Hall in one season, but his performance level, more often than not, has been has been poor, and that's why I think you know, someone like Mason Greenwood has had a lot of acclaim recently, even though he's not had the numbers to back it up because his performance level has been good. But the main issue is that is the number nine. Uh, they've got a number nine who isn't a number nine, and Anthony Martial, who was was finally dropped at Chelsea. When he was brought on again, I think you could have probably planted a tree up front. You'd have got more movement out of them. He, he, <laughs> he just does not have it in him to to play that role. He had a pretty underrated season last season um, as a centre forward, scored 23 goals, did, did very well. But that just looks like an anomaly. And the thing with Marsh is that he doesn't respond well um, when his nose is put out of joint. Ibrahimovic came in in 2016, took the number nine off Marshall. I think Martial went on social media just changing all his images to him wearing the number nine. It was a very passive, aggressive and petty way to react to that. Uh, Alexis Sanchez came in. That meant Martial wasn't going to be playing on the left. In the summer, he ended up asking for a transfer. And now Cavani has come in. And I think United specifically recruited Cavani as someone who, because of his age, would would help Martial, would uh, keep him on his toes rather than tread on his toes. But he, he's trampled all over his toes this season because he's just a better striker. And as soon as they got Cavani up to speed, it was clear that he should be starting more often than Martial. But I think Martial must have started about 12 more games this season than Cavani. And they have the same number of goals. They're both on seven goals. And that's, again, going back to the goal scoring, I think Rashford's on 18 goals. And then the third... Um, highest scorers joint Arcavani and Marshall on seven. So it's a big gap going from Rashford in second to to those two who are the two number nines. And United didn't have an awful lot in reserve in attack on the bench yesterday either. Matters injured and probably preparing for his curtain call he's out of contract at the end of the season Ahmad Diallo is, is so so callow and I think they're going to just try and ease him in when they see it fit really and yesterday wasn't the occasion for that and I mean Donny van der Beek I suppose is technically an attacker but he just I don't think he's looked, ever looked unlikelier of, of playing for United at the moment he's, he's been injured uh, recently but I, that, that what will he period, ever be do you think? 
will he ever be? Do you, do you think it, I mean, because you and I have both watched Champions League games. Yeah. You know, when Ajax have been really, frankly, excellent and, yeah. you know, that their their technical levels have been outstanding. And Van der Beek is, is, was a huge part of that. And it's 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 difficult to say. I don't know whether it rests on Pogba's future or or kind of whether it's whether it was really a signing that would ever fit in with Solskjaer's plan. But can you see a future for a you know an undoubtedly gifted, very very technical, good player at United? I think it pretty much hinges on Pogba going because then United have no choice but to play Van der Beek in one of those. Mm. Um, Holding roles in midfield as the the attacking the one, and then they've got someone like McTominay or Fred sitting. Even though McTominay's goal getting season has been really impressive, but Van der Beek thrived in the Ajax side, playing as a number ten. And looking ahead to the Euros, if he is a starter for the Dutch, he'll probably be playing as a number ten there as well because they've got De Jong and Wijnaldum, which seems like a very good triangle to have in midfield. Um, they're behind, I suppose it'll be Memphis Depay playing up front for them. Mm. But he is not going to oust Bruno Fernandes as United's playmaker. And he, he must have known that in agreeing to come to United. The circumstances behind the deal were kind of interesting that he clearly was not a first-choice target. That was that was Jack Grealish, Aston Villa out price United. Real Madrid weren't going for Van der Beek when it seemed like they had a free run at him. So United had that option of signing a Dutch player who schooled at Ajax. Brilliant Champions League pedigree, Netherlands international, only 23 for, I think, a maximum of £40. So it, it was a no-brainer. But then it's Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has not really concealed that Van der Beek wasn't a first-choice uh, target. There have been times when he should have played him, he hasn't played him. But in fairness, when Van der Beek has had chances over the last few months, I'm struggling to think of a single occasion where he mm. has performed and certainly the West Ham Cup game recently, he, he just looked so out of kilter with the team, particularly where Fernandes wasn't starting. It was a very good way to compare them. And Van der Beek is he's a footballer, but I don't think he's an athlete naturally. And United tried to be as intense as possible with their pressing. And that's just probably not the way he was brought up to play at Ajax. It was... You know, it's more total football possession based and so I think if he is to thrive at United it's it's going to have to be um, further back from from the front line yeah it brings us back to the to the uh, I guess the original point isn't it Man United are having a good season really comparatively you know there's sort of I don't yeah. know you could sort of look back upon the the um, uh, Champions League of course as a, as a disappointment but basically the second in the table you know they've still got silverware within their sights and and, and very possible, um, but yeah, the twelve points behind. But the anomaly in this in this season has been their record against the other big teams. You know, the, I mean, the, 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 it's it's incredible. It's it's seeing is believing their record. I mean, you know, goalless draws are plenty. Uh, I think it's just one goal, isn't it, against traditional, traditional um, top six opponents, which was in that. 6-1 mauling by Spurs. Yeah. I mean, it's, it is remarkable. And that says to me that basically they, they have got good players, they've got good good strikers who score lots of goals apart from when it's tougher to do so. So basically, you know, Cavani was a big miss. It struck me yesterday. You know, he's, he's obviously Absolutely. a quality player towards the end of his career, of course. But longer term, do you think that that Man United will be in the business, uh, will be in the market, I should say, for 
for a really top number nine, if you can find one beyond Erling Haaland, you know, this summer. Um, what, what, what do you think? Do you think that's in their sights? Is that realistic? You know, do you think, is, is this season taught them that perhaps they haven't got enough firepower up front? I think it's increasingly looking like they, they'll have to. Uh, if not this summer, which the more you think about it, I think that they do need to go for one this summer. It, mm. If it's not this summer, it's going to have to be next summer. Um, you know, they, they want Cavani to stay one more year, which would be a help. And that might park plans to go for a number nine until summer 22. Because I think realistically, they'll only get one more season out of him. He turns 35 mm. next year. But it is, it's it's an interesting dynamic. I mean, you know, hard to pass Ferguson's days, I think on the back of three or four results over Christmas in 94, he just decided, look, we absolutely need a striker. And he went through the list thinking Les Ferdinand, uh, QBI don't want him, Stan, don't want to sell him, sorry, uh, Stan Collymore was considered. He eventually went for Andy Cole. I think he said one of the reasons he went for Cole is that he was he was better in tighter games in the penalty box when teams are quite reticent. But back then, United could just go through their pick of these this collection of brilliant strikers in in the Premier League, and they knew that if they really wanted one of them, they'd get one of them. And the landscape is is just so unrecognisable from then. And it's it's quite reassuring that this whole myth about the the number nine being killed as you know it's, it's been killed by the number nines this this season. You see Kane, Lewandowski, Haaland, Ibrahimovic, Lukaku uh, across the cons and banging the goals in. And United clearly do need one of them because Marshall is not up to scratch and he's not a young player anymore. He turned twenty six this year. He's he's just far too mercurial, unfortunately, for United. But realistically, I think the, the priority for them this summer is going to be a centre-half because for all the issues up front, there are bigger issues in, in defence and in that um, they've almost conceded as many goals in the league as they did last season. Maguire-Lindelof is not a title-challenging partnership. I think that's been apparent for quite some time now. So I think the priority will be a centre-back where they can justify going for a big number nine as well, given the pandemic, mm. given the you know the sheer loss of revenue as well. I think their financial results come out on Thursday, so it'll be interesting what the takeaways and numbers are from that. It's going to be very, very difficult for them to to justify going for a Haaland. But the flip side is, can they really afford to lose out on someone who is so clearly a brilliant striker and is going to be a brilliant striker for probably the next decade when there's such intense competition for him? Yeah, big mistake not getting him the first time around. We all know the politics behind it, but <laughs> do, 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 does the club look back upon that with with huge, huge regret? Do they see it as a mistake, or do they just see it as timing politics all wrong? We know the background to it. Me and Ariola, the kind of yeah. the fallout from it, but it's you know, do, do they look back upon that as opportunity wasted? I think they're reluctant to outright look at it like that because I think mm. there's still some hope that they might get him in the future and certainly that that there was a bit of the feeling about that when that deal went through with him going to Dortmund in that Dortmund is very much a halfway house for brilliant players in Europe but Jaden Sancho eventually will leave Dortmund he's he's not going to see out his his career in, in Gelsenkirchen mm. but the, the issue is they, they've as I said before like in terms of the number nine Solskjaer didn't think Lukaku's face fit at United and although Lukaku wanted to leave and in that case 
if you get a big fee um, and, and there's an interested buyer, then you might as well cut your losses there. But the problem is United haven't truly replaced him. Um, they tried it with Igalo, which yeah, was, was very, very bizarre at the time. And in fairness to Igalo, he started reasonably well. Mm. That momentum was killed by the pandemic and he was it was redundant for probably the last six or seven months he was at the club. Uh, and then they brought Cavani in and Cavani's done pretty well, even though he's not probably scored as many as he should have this season. And every time Haaland scores, obviously, it's it's kind of a an if-only thing. And again, harking back to Ferguson, they, they went in for Shearer twice at Southampton and then at Blackburn. So I think Haaland is is one of those players who, who justifies a second a second bite at the cherry. But unfortunately for United, I can also see a bit like with Shearer that he is just destined to be one that got away. Yeah, no, for sure. I just wanted to touch on Dan James. It's, it's interesting that suddenly he's, you know, after a spell, you know, on the sidelines, without doubt, he seemed to have faded away a little bit. He's back in favour. What do you make of his recent performances, his latest re-emergence? Does he have at the very top level in the biggest games, I mean, you know, I suppose he played, you know, sort of Stanford Bridge, so that justifies that. So where, where do you see him over the next couple of years, Dan James? I would still say he's, he's a squad player for United mm. and he can be a very handy one. He's It's credit to him that he's he's, he's forced his way back into, into the side and I think, as a United fan said, if, if Marshall had his attitude, then Marshall would be a world beater and... James still looks like a very, very raw player, even though I think he's 23 now. But mm. United signed him on the back of about 18 months of football league, um, competitive football. He, he had a spell at Shrewsbury where he was completely unused when he was on loan there. So it, it was a very unconventional signing at the time. And at the start, he really did surprise everyone how he just caught fire immediately. There was that fearlessness about him. 2020 was a bit of a write-off year. He, he just did not play well at all for United. Um, I, there were times when he was justifying his selection because it fit with the system United were playing in that he'd play up front with Rashford or Martial and they'd be going with back three. But United have moved away from that this season and certainly there was a bit of interest from Leeds again in the summer in taking him on mm. loan. And up until about a fortnight ago, I'd have said that he'll, he'll need a loan in, in the summer and that, that still might be the case. But the way it's going at the moment, um, he's he's played his way back into into the first team plans. And I think it's quite reassuring that Solskjaer looks at his attitude and thinks, well, he's, he's, he's really given his best shot and there are other players in the team who don't put that level of commitment in and there's only so long you can go without rewarding that. Yeah. Let's look at Chelsea because they, 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 they could have won the game yesterday. I think that would have given them a huge, you know, leg up really, a huge uh, confidence boost in, in the battle for top four. There's certainly a long way to go. And I, I must say, I fancy Chelsea to finish in the top four now. I was kind of, you know, sort of, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I, I respected Frank Lampard so much for the, what he what he did that I kind of almost got blinded, couldn't see the wood for the trees. That maybe sometimes it, it changes as good as a, a rest and a new voice is what's needed. And and Tuchel has just revolutionised things, hasn't he? I mean, we were both sat there, weren't we, on on the on the Chelsea side, you know, of, of the dugout basically or the dugout areas. He was entertaining. Wasn't he really? He's yeah. very vociferous. He's very expressive. He's got these incredible histrionics on the on the touchline. You know, I'd, he looks as if he's going to be 
you know, quite fun and entertaining in, in the couple of years that he gets at Chelsea because that's all any ever a manager he ever gets really at Chelsea, let's be honest. Um, but yeah. it served the club yeah. well. But he, he does look quite an entertaining character. Do you fancy that they will ultimately finish top four? It's gonna be it's gonna be a tight thing, the battle for the Champions League places. But do do you think they'll they'll make it Chelsea? I do. Um, I mean, the, the great thing about going to Chelsea is that it, when we're normally in the press box, you glean a lot of colour from from the dugouts there. And, and yesterday, it was even though we were a little bit further away, it was, it was better in that we we could hear what he was saying. And we've just done a colour piece on on Tuchel's histrionics, as as you said. But he, he's clearly a, an excellent coach. Uh, you, you don't coach at Dortmund and, and PSG, and then you know. Chelsea, uh, he pulled the eye of Chelsea and he's he's gone there as well. I, I can see him as a coach as maybe shaking up another league uh, in two or three years' time. But they've, they've got so much talent. I mean, I think in one row yesterday, Ziyech, uh, Pulisic and, and Werner all sat next to each other. And, uh, you know, you dread, it must have been the most expensive row in history uh, that's ever <laughs> been at the football ground. Um, and just looking at the other teams there, I think West Ham, you know, West Ham fans are very, you know, get giddy quite easily. I, I know a couple of them and uh, I, I don't see them really seeing it out. If, if they finish top, top 10, I think that's a really good season for West Ham, a progressive season under David Moyes, who's, who's found his level again, is doing very well there. Leicester had that tendency. And I think, unfortunately for Brendan Rodgers, he's maybe gaining a bit of reputation for, for you know, capitulations in the running they should have walked to Champions League qualification last season but their form just deserted them when it counted most and Rodgers obviously had a Liverpool season then 13-14 but Leicester had to be in, in contention there I think much depends on whether Liverpool get their act together they they got a win yesterday against Sheffield United although that was to be expected given that Sheffield United are, are destined for the championship but given Tuchel's start at Chelsea and um just his decisiveness uh, and, and that ruthlessness with Hudson and Doyle at Southampton. I think there's there's an awful lot to be impressed by, and you know, having watched United come up against his his PSG side four times, um, he he commands respect of, of big players and big personalities as well, like Neymar and Mbappe, uh, Cavani being another. When he was at PSG, you have to have a you have to have some gravitas as a coach to be able to to manage those those egos. So I, I think he might be one who bucks the trend of the average shelf life of a Chelsea coach, but probably not too much longer than that. No, no. It'd be interesting to see really, as you say, he's got so much talent at his disposal. You know, Hudson Adoy, I think, you know, did come off with his like knock at half time. Yeah. You know, he's been quite brutal in his management of, of him, hasn't he? But, you know, I mean, Zayek, I was so looking forward to seeing him in the Premier League and yet I only feel we've yeah. ever had you know, small glimpses of him. He had a little purple patch um, in the autumn when when it looked as if, oh, here we go, it's lift off. But it was a bit frustrating. Really, should have scored yesterday. I think really it was a good save, but really yeah. shouldn't be. You shouldn't have given David De Gea the opportunity to save it. Kai Havertz, one of the most exciting talents in in, in Germany, yet yet really to you know catch light in the Premier League and for Chelsea. I think largely because English football, being English football, we don't know quite where to play such mercurial talent. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, that that's a fault with English football, let's be honest. I'm sure Thomas Tuchel will, will know where to play him in the longer term once he gets, you know, the, the players and the setup that he wants. But it is interesting that I think that it, if it hadn't been for the handball controversy and the VAR controversy, 
think Tammy Abraham would have found, despite not playing, not despite not being on the squad, I think would have found himself on quite a few of the back pages this morning um, in, in bigger headlines. Because when you're not picked to, to even, you know, make the squad, when, when you've got the enlarged squad, obviously, with, with, yeah. with the, you know, nine substitutes to choose from and sort of, you know, big, big parties, then it's going to be demoralising for, for a player like Tammy Abraham to be told no, actually, because I think the, the word before kickoff was he had a slight ankle injury. There's there's no there's no diplomacy with Tuchel. Tuchel tells it how it is and he quickly cleared that up, didn't he, and said that no, actually, he, is, he, he just wasn't selected and he's, he's basically got to get used to that and basically he's, you know, he's doing just fine, but he wasn't good enough to get in in the squad and, and and I guess that's going to be very, very difficult for some players to take, isn't it? Because if Abraham really was realistic, I think he probably thought this season he did so well last year, maybe he has a chance for the Euros. Well, he can't possibly if he's not been no. even selected for the bench. It's it's going to be difficult, isn't it? There's lots of lots of uh, square pegs into round holes, I think, this season for two shows, isn't there? Yes, and you look at the England squad shaping up for the Euros, you'd think that Kane, Calvert-Lewin are the two number nines they Absolutely. take. And if you have to take a third, you're probably looking at Danny Ings as as a, mm. you know, as an out, having an outside shout of getting in there. I, I remember when Abraham was at Swansea and he did an interview and he said, it must have been three and a half years ago, and, and he said that his, his dream was to win the Ballon d'Or and a lot of people la- laughed it at the time. And, yeah, f- fair enough. I can, un- I can understand why they did, but it also showed, you know, some ambition on on, on his part mm. to to want to do as well as he possibly could. Um, but I think even then, you thought it would be a big, big ask for him to actually establish himself at the Chelsea uh, in, in Chelsea team, and he had that platform last season where they had the transfer ban and Lampard came in and was always going to give uh, the, the the academy players a fair crack of the whip. But then normality has resumed after the transfer ban was lifted and they've spent a lot of money. And I suppose the irony is that someone like Werner hasn't really justified that expenditure so far and, and neither has Havertz. So there's always been some wiggle room for, for Abraham. So it's it's you know, testament to the evergreen Olivier Giroud that he's still starting for Chelsea in these games at, at the age of 34. I think in hindsight, if United were to have signed someone from Arsenal in January 2018, it probably should have been Giroud rather than, than Alexis Sanchez because I think Giroud mm. would have been more more what they needed um, at the time. But with Abraham, it just looks like that he's he's, he's going to have to cut ties with Chelsea in the summer. And it, that, that's, that's going to be a wrench for him because he has had that opportunity and he might get those opportunities again. But where he's such a, a, an athletic forward and um, Tuchel clearly, I think, has shown that he's, he's prepared to, to not just play him through the middle, which you know might bode well for him in the future. But if he's to be a big player uh, in the Premier League, it has to be elsewhere. And he did very well with Villa when they got promoted to, to the Premier League a couple of years ago. Um Villa have done have got Watkins in who's who's had a fabulous season. I think for someone who's just come straight in from the championship, but it's probably going to have to be the level of club for Abraham to go to or look for at least um, if he is to really make a fist of it at, at England level because at the moment he's he's fighting a lost cause. Yeah, no, I totally agree. It's it's interesting times really ahead for for, for both clubs. Um, you know, maybe, maybe Chelsea's. Best opportunity, bearing in mind they've got a sort of a, a you know a manager of 
um, Champions League pedigree is, is in the Champions League. You never know because I think the sort of finishing top four is going to be there. Is going to be their primary target for a club like Chelsea. They just have to be back in 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 that top four. And for United, you know, let's let's see. But I do I do think they're making. I mean, I, I I'm not completely convinced that everyone thought that they would finish second. And I, I know this brings us back to Jose Mourinho's infamous quote. You know, finishing yeah. second was my greatest achievement. But it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be laughed at really. And I think Solskjaer, as long as you can see progression. Which United are doing, then I think in the in the longer term that that's that's the main thing, and I think that's kind of what what Solskjaer is looking for. But um, but there you go. But listen, thanks so much. We really appreciate your company um, uh, to everyone out there, and particularly also no, Samuel you, Luckhurst from the Manchester Evening News, a Manchester United uh, correspondent. Been really interesting up and down season. So you know, I'm sure it will finish uh, largely highs. I should say. Uh, let's hope it finishes well for United and for yourselves. So thanks so much for joining. Really appreciate it.